Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Your host, Jay Wilmington here. Julian Bravo, kind again to join me so regularly. And uh, Julian, we're talking about Leicester-Chelsea today. Uh, A lot of talk and preparation for this match. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel not able to be the manager from the sideline. We've got the Wesley Fafana drama sort of between the two clubs uh, going on simultaneously. But we actually got to watch a match, and there was plenty of drama on the pitch today, Julian. Uh, how you feeling just generally walking away from the match Chelsea just played against Leicester? I will say it's nice to have some luck on our side for a change. It's been a very interesting opening four matches. I think we kind of alluded to the fact that the opening three were going to be kind of tricky and interesting, but I guess this season is just going to be wild and up and down throughout because at no point have we had any time to kind of settle and see normalcy from this club yet. Yeah, it's uh, that almost seems again like something that as Chelsea fans we're we're used to, and yet it, I still I'm longing for at least even just an intermediate or short term period of you know a little less uh, drama would be nice. But um, Chelsea going into the match, kind of uh, you know one thing we can talk about here a little bit is is what was this formation? Um, certainly from a setup, you could argue it was the traditional three five two with Reese James, Thiago Silva, Chaloba, uh, Kukurea all in the back line along with uh, Thiago Silva and then Jorginho and uh and Connor Gallagher in the midfield and then what looked like maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the midfield although at times he maybe in defense played some wing back but looked like more of almost a, of a of a midfielder to me and then the front three of Raheem Sterling, Kai Havertz, and Mason Mount, who we've seen each each match this season. Uh, Julian, what did you make of the formation and sort of the, the selection as well? I'd heard rumors going into this match that Tuchel was going to move Kukurea to the inside and Ben Chilwell was actually going to get the start. So I was thinking that that might be the first major change we saw, but... Everything else looked the same, obviously, with the exception of Koulibaly being out from suspension. We had to make some sort of change, and that was the change he opted for, which I think maybe shows a little lacking trust in Chilwell at the time, whether that be due to a lack of fitness or maybe he's just not up to what Tuchel's wanting at the moment. But as far as the rest of the team went, it is really hard to kind of figure out exactly what this formation was because As he kind of alluded to, we didn't really know where Loftus-Cheek was playing. And when you kind of look at the player positional map after the match, you see that all three of our attackers spent most of the time on the left side of the pitch. This was before, obviously, the red card, but left side of the pitch. You had Jorginho playing super close to Gucurea, pretty far left as well. And then just kind of all huddled together, you had uh, Connor Gallagher and then... Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Reese James. So it, it the position of the players was not really ideal, and it seemed like the spacing was kind of poorly set up. So I don't exactly know what we were looking to do in this match, but I don't think the direction was proper from the start. Yeah, one of the things I wondered a little bit is, you know, we talked a lot about, or I talked probably too much about last week, the sort of midfield issues for Chelsea, and particularly with N'Golo Conte out, you know, would would we see Connor Gallagher paired with with Jorginho again? And and we did, but to me it looked pretty clear like there was an effort there um, to have Loftus-Cheek involved, at least in, in at times in the midfield, to create a little bit more of a midfield three. Uh, but you know, I saw people call it a four-two-two-two. I saw people call it a four-three-three. Um, I, yeah, it, it, it was very fluid for sure, and it and it changed whether Chelsea was defending or whether they were in possession, uh, which, which they were. And and I didn't really have any major surprises from the Leicester lineup. Vardy, of course, up top, always going to play there, especially against you know a team that like Chelsea, who's going to have a lot of possession and try to you know play behind the back line. Uh, uh, Barnes, Dewsbury Hall, Tielemans, and and Prate. Uh, obviously, Madison not able to make the match uh, due to injury, and then Samari, and then Castagna, Marty, Evans, uh, Justin, and then Ward in goal. Um, you know, I we've seen Suyunchu have some really good performances against Chelsea, but he hasn't been played really at all. Not not particularly in form, and you know, we I thought maybe we'd see Ndidi from the start, but um, you know, not not any real major surprises there, particularly again with. Wesley Fafana not available, and even overnight, it sounds, Julian, like he's going to be joining Chelsea now 
almost officially official, um, but we can talk about him, you know, once and, and what he brings to the team once he arrives uh, here here shortly. But um, I don't know anything that stood out to you fr- from the Leicester team uh, or uh, you know any surprises there for you. Nothing too surprising from their selection. I think that uh, obviously we've seen Vardy for a very long time. He is a statesman in the Premier League at this point. And I don't know, um, he definitely continued to cause us issues. And I think maybe had he been a little bit younger, he would have really made us pay a lot throughout this match. But I guess we are beneficiaries of them not really kind of replenishing their team to what we've seen from previous years. Leicester for a while had been one of the more tricky teams just because they had a lot of quality from top to bottom, but it seems like maybe they're just a little short at the moment and I'm not sure how that's going to change, but I think it kind of reflected in the way that they were playing this match. Like Chelsea, it'll be interesting to see what Leicester does, particularly if the Fafana sale does go through and you've talked about replenishing the squad there that, you know, maybe those are the funds that help them do that uh, at least to some degree. Um, But you know, Chelsea, like they have, I thought, in in pretty much every match so far this season, uh, you know, the, they were pretty lively in the in the opening minutes. Um, I, you know, I, th- I thought, it obviously, dominant in possession, moved the ball pretty quickly, and, and seemed to have, um, particularly, you know, when they would lose possession high up the pitch, they just sort of swarmed the immediate areas um, and were able to create turnovers and just, you know, kind of suffocated Leicester. And, and I think... Um, you know that's a tough thing to to have to be able to do long term, but I think in the, in the, we've consistently been able to start these matches with with a high intensity, and and in a couple cases like today, one we almost create an instant goal, uh, but like is often the case, our finishing fails us again. This time it's Loftus Cheek on. You know you've talked often, Julian, about what a good creator Raheem Sterling is, and that was just an incredible pass and vision there to put that ball on a plate for Loftus Cheek and. Um, you know, a, a decent save there, but man, Chelsea once again almost gets off to a flying start, but just can't bury a chance. And that was what I was kind of expecting from this match. As long as we don't have Conte or even for even Kovacic for that matter in the midfield, I think we can kind of expect this basketball like game that's a little back and forth. And it was kind of back and forth early. There's just kind of no playing in the midfield, it's just chaos in the midfield from both teams. And we happened to get some of the better opportunities in the onset. And that right there from Raheem Sterling, that's what I keep highlighting. And that's his best trait. And I hope he continues to demonstrate this because it does create some great opportunities for our players. And credit to goalkeeper Ward. He made an outstanding save. And Loftus-Cheek was in the right position, despite the fact that we didn't exactly know where on the pitch he was playing. But I think we will see those opportunities maybe put away in the future if Raheem Sterling continues to create such great opportunities like that. Yeah, you mentioned it by Ward. It, it was a really good save. He had to cover a lot of ground there, and he made himself really big in front of Loftus-Cheek and really did not, even, you know, as close as he was to goal and as, as open as the goal mouth looked when the pass was coming across. He, he did well to make that a, a tough chance. Um, but Chelsea kind of, you know... Really have another th- another conversation point here just a few minutes later where Loftus Cheek does well uh, to to work with um, Havertz and and they I don't know what I don't know if it's a penalty on Tielemans but I, it's certainly one they're not going to overturn where he just sort of clumsily bundles over Loftus Cheek um, you know in a frankly not very dangerous area inside the 16 yard box. Um, and it looks like Chelsea, you know, as much as they've struggled to score an open play, might get another Jorginho special from the penalty spot. But, you know, it, it, I don't know about you, and of course I'm sure most football fans feel this way regardless of their club, but when it, it just feels like these right, this is one of those times right now where whenever that VAR symbol comes up and there's a review on the pitch, it's like, I don't know what this is even for, but I'm sure we're not going to, this goal won't count. And, you know, once again, Chelsea lose out to VAR on a, you know, microscopic, what I would call, uh, you know, decision. And at, at this point, I've kind of, well, I haven't made my feelings public on VAR here, but I always used to say that I don't understand why we're giving more power to some, well, not good people in the first place. A lot of refs make some pretty poor calls and giving them an opportunity to make some more poor calls is frustrating. A lot of this stuff is part of the game. A lot of the most notable memories a lot of us have throughout our lifetime supporting football has been either a really bad call 
or a really lucky call. So this is just another example of that. And at this point, I kind of just am in the same boat as you. We might get the call. We might not get the call. Anytime it comes up, we're probably seeing our penalty or our goal disallowed. And that's why I don't celebrate as much as I used to. When we would score a goal, it used to be, okay, awesome. We'll see. No, the flag's not up. Cool. We have our goal. But nowadays it's like, okay, well, let me let me make sure there's no VAR before we even celebrate. So it's a little frustrating, and this was just another example of that. On the 20th minute, it looked like Leicester might have a major injury issue as their captain, Johnny Evans, goes down after making, you know, uh, Sterling had a tough pass to try to lead in Havertz. Certainly there was a lot of space there. Uh, he had his back to the goal and a defender on him, but he, he plays a ball a little wayward of Havertz, and Evans has to make a diving diving challenge and, and clears the ball, but it looks like he kind of caught his ankle and it looked like he might have to come off. And again, with Hafana not available and, and some of the issues on the squad depth, it looked like Suyunchu might come on for the first time this season for Leicester, but Evans able to continue. And then just shortly thereafter, the first in what quickly became a big problem for Chelsea, Connor Gallagher picks up a yellow card on a challenge that was, I thought, pretty careless. I, you know, I think being the, his first foul at that time, you know, it's one of those that you probably feel he's a little hard done by to get the yellow. But certainly once he got it, it you just kind of felt like, oof, that's that's tough. Because even, um, you know, I, t- I mentioned earlier the high pressing and intensity of Chelsea. Uh, you know, that's one of the things they can do well when Gallagher is in the lineup because he is such a high energy, high intensity player. But he does he does run the risk of of giving away some fouls that aren't very wise, and I think maybe even especially so right now when he's trying to really make a big impact in the Chelsea team and show that you know what he did for Crystal Palace uh, that he can make a similar big impact for Chelsea, maybe pressing a little bit too much. But um, you know, what do you think of this foul in particular? That first one was it harsh to give him a yellow? I think it's unfortunately a fair yellow because it was a poor challenge. And it's one of those things where you kind of have to say to Connor Gallagher, you know, settle down. I have a lot of praise for him in these early moments. And just like I did in the Leeds match, he is very high energy. And I think going into this match, he may have heard some things from whether it be Tuchel or the supporters, whatever the case was, you could tell he was determined to make a mark in today's match. And just like in the Leeds game, he came out and he looked good. He even looked more energetic than normal, which is really saying something for Connor Gallagher. So I don't think I was too surprised. I kind of felt it was coming. He was really close on some amazing tackles. He made some good tackles before the card itself. So you could tell that if he continued at that pace, we were either going to see the world's greatest defensive midfield performance from an attack-minded player, or we were going to see somebody get a couple of bookings and get sent off. And unfortunately, we had the second part. But I, I appreciate the energy from him. I think maybe he just needs to kind of settle down. And if he plays his game and maybe isn't quite as aggressive about it, I think we'll see some great results from him. This isn't his ideal position, but I, I appreciate the efforts to say the least. And it was just six minutes later that that second infraction comes. And this one, a no doubter, um, you know, I, I think... I think you can give a little bit of it a red card assist there to Kukurea for two terrible balls in, uh, you know, the the uh, first corner that was just low and flat into the front front man and then gets kind of hit back out to him and he tries to volley a ball across to the top of the box and just under hits it right to a Leicester player. Uh, you know, so so it's a foul you Gallagher just just immediately cuts down was it was it Barnes and and to give away an, a, a break and it's a foul you see a lot of times a, a tactical yellow but but on a yellow and particularly with you know Chaloba's still there it's on their side of midfield it's not a just breakaway one-on-one with the keeper it, it's a silly foul and, and and of course he knows right away that that he's off and you know, you mentioned some of that stuff about maybe seeing uh, social media context or even just hearing comments around the team or in the city or wherever about, you know, people being hard on him after his last performance. And I think, you know, knowing how much he wants to make good here this season at Chelsea and then, you know, the emotion you could see on, on his face coming off going down the tunnel like you really I really did feel for him I mean as much as you know like in that moment man we we went from once again thinking we were probably a goal to the good being microscopically off sides and now we're down a man and kind of looking down a gun barrel and here we go again um but but still I, I felt for him because like you said the the performance he had up up until the 
up until this point was really good and his energy was really good. So, um, you know, I, a silly foul for a young guy, especially especially on a yellow. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right, Julian, that that's one, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but for me that's one I, I can forgive him for the second foul, e- even though, you know, it, it was clear and obvious. I hope this kind of ends the Gallagher in that role experiment because it's clearly not working. And a lot of us scratched our heads when we heard Tuchel mention this. And I've discussed this with Palace supporters and supporters of other clubs that are admirers of Conor Gallagher. So for Chelsea supporters that may not see it with Conor Gallagher, all of the other fan bases have a lot of really positive things to say about Conor Gallagher. And they're surprised at what we're doing with him. And they honestly think that he would be better suited elsewhere because this isn't his ideal role and it's showing. And I really wish we would stop playing him in this role because when he's allowed to do what he's best, he's an amazing player. Unfortunately, this is probably the issues we're going to continue to have with him in that midfield. I can't emphasize enough just how specialized a defensive midfield role actually is. You can't plug and play any player in there, and that's kind of been evident by the amount of players we've tried to put in that position that haven't worked out. Even a specialist like Bakayoko struggled because it's just more difficult to play this role, especially in a team like Chelsea. So he's definitely a square peg in a round hole, and uh, there might be some backlash for him again, but I have to say at the very least... After his substitution, we had to change things around, and it looked like we were better, actually, with 10 men on the pitch. I agree, and I think that's another thing that probably is going to um, make people think, make that connection almost, you know, a a one-to-one, that Gallagher left, leaves, and we're better, um, you know. But but I I think in part because, again, the, the assignment was much clearer at that point. And we knew, I, th- I think even from an effort and energy standpoint, it's sort of like, okay, I, it's really clear down to man here that every guy is going to really have to, you know, step up. And, and there was maybe not as much fluidity, but it did seem to me to take out a little bit of sort of that back and forth basketball nature, which which in some ways suited Chelsea against a Leicester team that is frankly not very good at defending or at least has not been this season so um you know despite like like it was a little bit strange to see Chelsea go down a man but almost sort of find more purpose um and it almost you know went went even more pear-shaped in the 34th minute when uh Lester found the ball in the back of the net off of a uh, corner and I you know if Chelsea was unfortunate to have uh, not be awarded the penalty earlier. I think they're pretty fortunate here where, yeah, Harvey Barnes gets called for a foul on Mendy and, and, and it's probably a fair call, but it's also one that's like, Oh man, it's he didn't exactly just run through Mendy. Um, so I don't know. I was very actually curious to, to hear your thoughts. We haven't talked at all about this particular um, incident, but what, what did you think of that call and the disallowed goal there um, to save Chelsea from falling behind? Surprisingly, I disagree with you, and I'm usually on the opposite side of things where I feel like our players need to do better, but I feel like Mendy was mauled pretty bad in that instance, and it did play with his ability. It did impact his ability to make a play on the ball, so that one I disagree with. I'm 100% on board with the call, and I'm glad that goal was disallowed because I could see the referee giving the benefit of the doubt to the player because, well, Mendy's a lot bigger. But at the same time, it's pretty clear that uh, his ability to play on the ball was impacted severely by the attacking player. Well, and if there's one player on Chelsea right now that I probably could be fairly accused of being a little bit too harsh about is probably Mendy because I've been I've been frustrated with some of his play. And I think that, you know, at times probably probably a little bit too harshly. So Um, and and. It's interesting, Chelsea, after kind of solidifying things, almost gets a goal before halftime is in what would have been another sort of another feather in the cap of Reese James and his incredible, you know, smashing goals. Um, after Chelsea kind of, you know, gets a chance, it's it's played out loose on the right side of James and he comes on a tough angle and just drills it. And, it, you know, it almost came off the post and was past the goalkeeper in the other direction more before he could even react, but it does, you know, uh, careen off the crossbar and out. And, and, you know, again, it's just one of those moments that would have been, man, I can only imagine what Stanford bridge had, had James put that in the top corner. 
He still remains one of our most important attacking players. And I think that's why, as we kind of mentioned Fofana earlier, it might be such an important thing for us to get Fofana because of Reese James' ability to go forward. Limiting him and kind of keeping him a little further back in the defense isn't ideal for anybody. He is capable of playing that role. And something I tell people a lot of the time is, when I first started watching Reese James as a youth player, he was playing in the center of midfield, correction, center of defense. And it was only when he started getting moved out right. We actually moved a right back, uh, Dujon Sterling, into the center back role to accommodate Reese James because of how good he was at everything, defense and attack. So giving him the opportunity to press forward in the attack going forward is going to be huge for Chelsea. He maybe what Sterling has actually been our best attacking player. And this is coming from oftentimes a center back role. Yeah, he's such, he's just an incredible player. I mean, I think Loftus-Cheek is a little bit of a unicorn in just kind of the skill set he has, but James has has such a unique skill set and is is just so consistently good. It's it's he he is just a remarkable player. I don't I don't know what you think of the little blue uh, the blue tuft in the hair. I kind of actually liked it. Oh, I was thinking the same. I'm like, you know, this is a little obscure for uh, you know little Reese James that I used to see once upon a time, but. Uh, Reese James is all grown up, and he is definitely uh, showing it with both his performance and his interesting look. And and actually, it's fun. It's interesting. You know, you had to know Vardy was going to get at least one chance, if not a couple, in this match. Just the way it goes, and almost right before halftime, he he, he has it. I think he actually was played on side by James. They didn't look at it too close, I'm sure, because he because he missed on the broadcast, but. Uh, ball over the top from Castagna and Vardy, uh, you know, it reminded me a, a little bit of the Harry Kane chance that he missed against Chelsea when he got in behind and, and just lashes it across the face of goal and, and wide a chance. Both of those guys you see score more often than not, but uh, maybe Chelsea a, a, a little bit lucky there, but it kind of felt like, uh, you know, swings and roundabouts with James's shot coming off the crossbar. And then a moment later, Vardy it was like two boxers kind of throwing big punches and just not quite connecting. Um, you know, and at halftime, I think at nil nil, it was kind of like, you know, again, like it's been for me this season, lots, lots of emotions, almost a half that played out in segments itself because, you know, it, it, it was an impressive start, but then the performance started to just, the energy started to dip a little, and then you had the yellow card quickly followed by the dismissal of Gallagher, uh, you know, Chelsea regathering themselves, then sort of looking strong again, almost scoring, almost giving up a goal, and I think, you know, for me, it was just kind of like, okay, deep breath here at halftime. Um, you know, Julian, what did you feel like going into the second half? And then what did you think of the change made by Chelsea at halftime, taking off Mason Mount and bringing Aspilicueta on? It was a change that I feel like needed to happen. Mason Mount still continues to struggle. And I don't think this system has been set up for him to succeed to this point. Some adjustments going to need to be made to get Mason Mount a little more involved into this because I still think he's one of our most important players and easily one of our best players. Same thing I've heard from other supporters as well as what's happened to Mason Mount and why is he not as good as he has been in recent seasons. So this sub needed to happen. And for a lot of people that have been maybe overly critical of Azpilicueta, one thing you can't be critical of him for is his ability to lead a team. And he does have a very strong personality. And I think that that was something that we really needed to kind of solidify everything around the team. Even though it felt like an even match at halftime, I would say that I was just as positive and optimistic going into that second half as I had been going into the match because it didn't look like we were inferior to them even after that red card. So I thought that maybe going forward with some adjustments, there was something in this for us. I was thinking maybe a point, but um, as we found out, it was actually much more than a point. And finally, our new man, our big signing, Raheem Sterling, gets off the mark for Chelsea, and he does it at the bridge, and he does it with just a little bit of fortune as his shot from the edge of the box. He does really well to kind of, you know, put Amarty on skates. Amarty doesn't really close down space well on the edge of the box, and 
as he takes a shot. I think it just comes off the top of the, you know, the toe of Amarty and loops up uh, over Ward with a lot of dip and Ward kind of backpedaling and diving with his hand outstretched, can't get a fingertip to it. And, you know, that I, you could see it in his celebration, but man, that had to be kind of a, a real weight off the shoulders for Raheem Sterling and for Chelsea, frankly. Unfortunately, we've seen too many of those goals happen against us. So it was really nice to see uh, Raheem Sterling, of all players, actually get that goal. I feel like he's been a little unlucky, but I've said that finishing hasn't always been his biggest strong suit. And we are all really happy to finally get some luck on our side, because while there was a little bit of luck involved in that, the defender needed to do better. That's something we've been critical of our own players for. But it was a nice attempt. Uh, He created some space for himself and the defender didn't do enough and as a result I was very happy and surprised to see us get that first goal especially so quickly after the restart along with just a touch of luck Mark Kukurea is credited for the assist although like you know Sterling did most of that work and and with the deflection but you know I thought Kukurea you know it was critical of him earlier and, and I didn't think you know what set piece delivery wasn't particularly strong again I you know his ability even down a man to really press uh, Lester back. And when we were able to counter in the second half, he was, you know, he delivered to the right places most of the time. Gets the assist here on the Sterling goal. Uh, and, it, and it looked like almost immediately Chelsea was going to go up two. And this is the one time I heard from you during the match because I agree, and, and I agreed with you completely. It looked like Chelsea were going to finish him off. A great pass. Kukurea gets another little lucky deflection, and Sterling does well, I think, to kind of shift his run, slow down, and hit a cross ward who's diving at him. And off of the inside of the post and back out it comes and it did have an element of that feeling of like oof that was the dagger that was the one that puts this match away and now you just have to wonder you know we've been playing a lot of minutes with it with it with a man down is are we going to rue that that chance there I initially didn't see that as a save I just assumed that it was a really tough angle and Sterling just missed the ball barely by mere inches but that was an incredible save i have to give ward some more credit because i don't know many keepers that actually make that save based off pure instinct so that was impressive in that sense and we've seen that so often from chelsea that we miss an opportunity and then the team kind of deflates surprisingly that's not exactly what happened even after that missed opportunity we still seemed like the more likely of the team to score if not the match just being more even in general Even then, I was concerned. That's when I said, I think this might be it. This might be the thing that does us in yet again. We've already seen that numerous times this season, but that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, and you could tell Lester, you know, at this point, decide to kind of make a a tactical change to try to really go for this match 10 minutes into the second half and now down a goal. And uh, Samari comes off for Iannaccio and Iosi Perez comes on for Pritt. And, and, you know, again, just pretty typical. You're going to expect that. And now down a man, you know, the fear becomes a little bit for Chelsea. Like, do we, hopefully we have the legs for this. And now we've got a couple of fresh, fresh attackers coming at us. But, you know, to, to, I think what, even in the moment, the, the feeling of at least, you know, Lester hasn't exactly had a lot of things going their way this season either. So at least we're, we weren't up against a team that, you know, things kind of seem to be rolling for, uh, and I, you know, I thought, I thought Lester had a couple of decent chances or at least, you know, kind of half chances there for a few minutes. And it started to feel like they were going to kind of, you know, constrict Chelsea and it was going to be a long half hour to, to defend a, a one goal lead. And then an excellent job by Chelsea and frankly, terrible defending by Lester as Chelsea start to break on the counter momentarily look like they're going to stop. Reese James plays the ball back and then it's recycled to Jorginho in the middle of the midfield and he plays it right back down the right side and James and Havertz combine on the right flank and James plays one of his just, uh, you know, world-class top spin crosses across the face of goal and, you know, hey, maybe we've actually got a guy that's going to arrive at the back post. There's Raz for his brace and, you know, short while it could have been a, in a hat trick, you know, it, it felt pretty good there after missing one. He comes right back and gets his second in Chelsea Blue. That must have felt like some of those infamous balls played by Kevin De Bruyne because it was on a platter for Raheem Sterling. And I don't want to diminish his goal scoring numbers at Manchester City, but if he gets those opportunities from Reese James, then yeah, he will see goal scoring numbers that he had in Manchester City once again because 
Reese James is one of the absolute best when it comes to supplying a perfect and great opportunity for any player, whether it be a winger, a striker, or somebody coming in from the midfield. And that was another example of that. I imagine as a goalkeeper, it has got to be really difficult to assess where the ball is going to end up and as a defender as well. But if you're playing and practicing with Reese James all the time, then you'll probably pick up a good sense of where those balls are going to end up. And Raheem Sterling, I mean, he had time. He could have probably taken a touch and then even scored. But great opportunity set up by our two best attacking players right there, Reese James and Raheem Sterling. And, you know, there's still a frustration for me, and I'm sure Reese James himself, that we don't have a traditional striker. I mean, you know, Kai Havertz isn't a terrible header of the ball, but he's not a profile of a player where James can play crosses in to a traditional large number nine who's going to score you, you know, a handful of headed goals. But at least if we could solve one of the problems in the crosses that where he whips him across in front of everybody and nobody's there at the back post to finish, you know, if Sterling, I think with his predatory nature around the box, yeah, maybe he's not an out-and-out finisher. But you're right. He was, you know, some of his goal numbers at City were because he had such creative players setting him up. And, man, I you know, I, it was really refreshing to see, like, man, that would be nice to see again uh a bunch more times and it wouldn't be that hard to imagine because that's like we you know we've seen Reese James play that pass so many times but things just can't always be nice for very long in our world because it was only four minutes later that Harvey Barnes brings Lester back within one and you know takes deflates the energy out of Stanford Bridge to some degree um Julian I'm interested what you think you know Harvey Barnes gets into the box on Mendy's right side and, and he strikes the ball really well but Mendy's beaten at his near post, and I, you know, I think from that angle, that's that's a tough one for me because while the shot, like I said, was hit really well, um, I, I just I think that's got to be your priority as a keeper in that moment, does it not? I always have a hard time being overly critical of goalkeepers since I've never played the position, and I oftentimes like to get the opinion of somebody that has actually played the position because something like that. I have a very hard time being critical of him, overly critical of him for that, because his defense kind of left him out to dry. Harvey Barnes was left in open space. There was some great interplay from Lester themselves. And the shot was hard. I think it would be overly harsh to be really critical of him for not saving that chance. But at the same time, you could say he could have done a little better. He could have taken a better angle. But I think we're being really critical if that's the case. I don't think that there was much he could have done on that one. Well, and 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 to give him credit, just about ten minutes later, Lester kind of has a flurry of chances. One of those being Harvey Barnes again on that left side and trying to kind of get Mendy again at that near post. This one driven low on the ground, and Mendy wise to it and and easily able to make the save. And you know, he also I I didn't mention his save right at the end of the first half, which was also a a, a big save for Chelsea. Um, and, and then he. I thought Iheanacho was going to have the chance to kind of that, that looked scary to me where Lester kind of caught us in space and, and Iheanacho essentially I think just kind of got wrong footed and just kind of softly passed it just wide of the post Mendy able to, to watch it go by. And now Chelsea, the ones to make a double substitution in the 75th minute, uh, Jorginho coming off, uh, you know, again, I think we, we heard from, Thomas Tuchel in the pregame press conference that that Kovacic was available, but probably available for about 20 minutes. So I think it's not a major surprise he comes on here, uh, you know, with 15, maybe 20 minutes with extra time to play. And then Pulisic comes on for Sterling. And I think here, you know, I think Pulisic is a guy that we see come on frequently in, in I'm sure he won't love this as his role, but he's kind of like a, like a garbage, not garbage, but he, 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 I think because he can get fouled so well in one-on-one situations and work fouls, he's a great time waster when Chelsea's ahead and being pressed and needing to break up play. Um, And so, you know, I know he probably isn't, like, that's not really the role he's looking for at Chelsea, but I wasn't super surprised to see him come on, particularly after Sterling had, you know, with 10 men and making some of the runs he did had to be pretty worn out. Um, Any particular thoughts from you about Pulisic and Kovacic coming into the match? Yeah, I wanted to give Jorginho a little bit of credit in this match because I have been a little critical of him, especially given the role that he has in a club that doesn't particularly defend his strengths well enough. I think he did have a better game today. And 
it's not a coincidence, I think, that the moment he was pulled off for Kovacic was right after he had given possession away, after being, well, pressured by a couple of players. This wasn't an ideal game for him, and I feel like any game in which he has to do a significant amount of defensive work isn't going to be ideal for him. But he played some great balls. He had some uh, great just interplay with his players around him as well. So one of Jorginho's better games, and I think a lot of people are going to be really happy to see Kovacic back because this system that we continue to persist with, it requires a player at least like Kovacic. So that's a huge positive, and Kovacic felt like a perfect fit for this match because of his ability to get past players. And then as far as Pulisic goes, it's been the same thing. Every time he's been subbed on, I haven't seen too much from him. Uh, I think he hardly had a touch of the ball the entire match as well. It, I guess, is maybe nice to give Raheem Sterling a break because we're going to also persist with this three-man attack of Jorginho, Havertz, and Mount until maybe something changes, but not not too many thoughts on Pulisic yet again. He didn't really seem to have too much of an impact. And I think where Christian would argue here is like, yeah, man, well, that's it, it's pretty tough to make an impact when you don't get hardly any minutes. And then when you do get minutes, you're put into a match where you're trying to kill off the match. And, and you know, to be fair to him, like that's, that is a tough spot to make an impact. But it makes sense to me as a manager and a team like why that's where we see him come on in this case. Um, and then Vardy has has a couple of chances, the fir- the second better than the first, but the first one, Tillmans plays the ball over the top, and it's a really nice looping pass. Vardy, you know, plays it with kind of away with his first with his first chance, and Mendy does well to kind of narrow the angle and and does it saves the strike wide. Uh, you know, again, I think they just did a really good job, particularly in the movement um, prior to the shot being taken to close down the angle on Vardy, and then uh, I, it looked like. Chelsea was going to give one away, I think, when a big looping pass over the top from Perez comes in. And, and it, it was just really awkward for Trevor Chaloba. We haven't mentioned him today. I thought he uh, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, I thought he certainly made a case today why he should definitely stick around, regardless of whether Fafana signed, uh, maybe let Ethan Ampadu go out on loan. But this was a moment where he almost was, was highlighted because it was a ball that I think he couldn't quite decide whether to try to play with his feet or try to head clear and and ultimately just kind of misplays it, and Vardy uh, gets onto it, rounds Mendy, but plays the shot off the side of the net. I think Tiago, you know, Tiago Silva, who was kind of everywhere today, especially at his age, my goodness, uh, kind of a marathon for him, might have been able to to save it before it went across the line, but looked pretty scary there for a minute. And um, you know, at that point, still with five minutes to go. You know, that was the one for me that thought, whew, maybe we will get out of this with three points because that's when it just it had all the feelings of a late giveaway of and dropping two points, but um, just wasn't to be for Vardy. And that's what I said going into this match was a younger Vardy is going to punish us for all of these chances that we let him have. He showed that he still is great at beating the offsides trap and. I don't think Thiago Silva played him offsides once. I think it was uh, any of our other defensive players that uh, let him, that kept him onside. So that goes to show still how disciplined and skilled somebody like Thiago Silva is. I think we have massive credit for him. But on a different day, maybe a sharper Vardy does put us to the sword in this match. And if Lester didn't feel snake bitten after Vardy hits the side of the net, they had to have just a few minutes later when uh, Iosi Perez creates space in the Chelsea box and fires it beyond Mendy, but sort of off the bottom of the crossbar, comes back off the bounce and is cleared away by a Chelsea header. And, you know, that was one of those minutes. Again, that ball could have careened anywhere off the bottom of the crossbar. But, uh, you know, again, Chelsea breathe a sigh of relief there as it's cleared. And that was the best and final chance, really, for Leicester. Four minutes of extra time were added, but Chelsea able to mostly see it out well. Uh, ben Chilwell came on for Kukurea. Uh, Lester made one change. Yuri Tielmans came off for Ndidi for the final minutes. Um, but, you know, despite a few free kick chances for for Lester, I think they were as guilty as Chelsea on the day of just not really having 
excellent set piece delivery. Um, James Madison not in the lineup that probably helped Chelsea to it to a degree. But um, yeah, after playing you know basically sixty plus minutes uh, with a man down, Chelsea come away two one winners at Stamford Bridge uh, and and take three points. Currently, as we sit here now with a couple matches yet to be played uh, in the in the week, Chelsea sitting in sixth place. So. Yeah, Julian, wow, deep breath, three points, and I think overall, even though there's certainly lots of things to make you sweat or make you uh, concerned again, i got to be happy with three points having to play two-thirds of a match down a man, right? Without question, and I'm going to give credit to our players who have oftentimes fallen under criticism for not being able to put a match away and also not showing the sort of motivation to be in a match. They showed both today. I'm not taking too much away from this because I don't want to diminish our accomplishments or Leicester. Leicester are struggling. They are at the bottom of the table. But given that we were down 10 men and we showed the resolve to play better and increase our performance, it definitely showed like we're at least maybe starting to trend in the right direction. Maybe we're turning a corner in this. And while I'm not going to take away too much from this match, because in theory, I hope we won't be playing with 10 men from this point going forward and many of our matches, I think that it does go to show that we still have the quality. The quality is there, and we're capable of putting in some good performances from various players, as well as scoring the opportunities when they are presented to us in such a blatant and obvious manner like Sterling had today. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, and I it's something I, I say a lot. I think we see what we want to see, and I think, you know, today... I for me I'm just like you. I think you've got to feel really good about those three points. I you know, I think yeah, you'll hear people say, "Oh, it was Lester. Lester's terrible. We barely got the win. Gallagher look, you know, got the red card. We were not de- It's it's just kind of like, yeah, man, if you want to if you want to gripe, there's always going to be stuff that's not going the best. Um but at the same time, there's, you know, I I I almost thought even we might see a new manager bounce because there was talk Rodgers. I don't think Brendan Rodgers is long for the Leicester City manager job and, you know, I can think of a bunch of times where Chelsea's gone up against the opponent smack at the bottom of the table, but it's been just days after uh, some new manager comes in and and they play the performance of the season against us. So you know, I, it's just part of how the season works out. Um, you know, I think Chelsea just has to absolutely feel good about today. And I think going back to that, you see what you want to see. If you see this as if there's some belief here, you can also tell your say what you saw today was, man, this was a really uh, unified performance that Chelsea can rally around because they had to do it with 10 men. They 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 had to work for it. They did give away a goal after and had to still hang on at the end. And, you know, they can rally around Gallagher. It didn't cost him any points. And he can, you know, it's like, well, we'll see. Um, but I, I think, you know, you're just kind of asking for heartburn to take anything else away from today. Um, but a, but a pretty, pretty, Pretty good feeling from Chelsea. So Julian, I almost forgot. I, in fact, I did forget last match to 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 mention this, and you remember you remembered. But I'll ask you first today. Who's your man of the match? I think there's a few candidates. Um, I'll mention a couple. I have one, but I'm I'm interested to know if we have the same man. Well, I want to give four players shout outs, so I'm going to run through three of them real quickly. I want to give Mendy some huge credit because a lot of the time we found goalkeepers really struggle after a poor performance or a huge mistake and they lose confidence. I don't think Mendy did too much wrong today and he did have some great saves as well. So credits to Mendy for bouncing back and I hope this is a sign of his confidence going forward. Reese James, great in attack, great in defense, may have been caught out here or there a time or two, but he made up for it with some great opportunity set up. That assist he had was a magnificent assist, and he did play his role in defense as well. And then Thiago Silva, who at this moment, I know it's only four games into the season, has not just been our best player, but has by far been our best player. And I don't know how many matches he'll be able to play this season, but he right now is looking like our most important player, especially in the defense. My man of the match won't be a surprise to anybody. It was Raheem Sterling because even if you take away one of the goals he scored, he still looked like our most potent attacking player, and he hardly touched the ball. I feel like it will come as a surprise to people that he only had 37 touches, which, if I know correctly, it's actually only two more than Connor Gallagher had, and Connor Gallagher played hardly the amount of minutes that uh, Raheem Sterling did. So massive credit to Raheem Sterling. Looked good both in his finishing as well as in his ability to set up opportunities. Yeah, 
my man of the batch is going to be Reese James. I think, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the same argument you can always make for Reese James, that he is just so important to what Chelsea's doing going forward and and defensively. Um, I think, you know, his, his ball for, for the assist, he also had the near goal. And there were times, particularly, I think, in the first half where he just looked like the biggest threat when they kind of going forward, it looked like RLC was kind of in a midfield role and they were letting James play true you know, left back, um, attacking fullback on the, on the right side. And, um, I, you know, that's probably a little harsh on Sterling to get a brace and not be the man of the match, particularly when you're two goals, you know, you have the winning goal as well. Um, but I just think, I just think James, um, he's probably going to be a candidate right at the top. Most matches. It's interesting though, a little bit to me. And, and this is, I, I Silva was the other one, um, along with Sterling. Those three were the three for me that against it's pretty amazing, how consistent Thiago Silva is, um, and particularly again, you know, they all, you know, it, his age is almost over talked about. But again, in a match where you're down a man and there's a lot of work to, he was so consistently kind of, you know, save the day. But he does it so early in the play often that he, I don't know, it's almost like he doesn't get as much credit as he could because if he did it last ditch as often as he does it early you know you just visually see how he saved the day but um I you know he he was just so consistent throughout certainly is not going to be able to play 90 minutes at that just sort of helter skelter um pace all year gonna have to get him some rest um but my final point here as I talk about Reese James being man of the match and his consistency is it feels a little weird to consistently right now not be bringing Mason Mount's name into these conversations just because he's the other guy when I think Reese James and Mount that are just like, yeah, it's it's match after match after match. You just know exactly what you're getting. To your point, I don't think that what we're doing um, – you know, again, we talked a lot about the formation and the tactics last week, focused on the midfield, but also how it impacts our defense and our attack going forward and not optimizing a lot of our talent, guys having to kind of play outside of their natural positions. But I still thought Mount did so well under Tuchel last year that, you know, you could make an argument Havertz has just never really been in the right fit with this team. But Mount, Mount at least was was really consistent at times. And, he, you know, he was great in the Tottenham match. Um, it Just for me, I, I, I don't have a good feeling as to why Mason Mount's not quite firing yet. Um, but, you know, again, I, I say especially you, with three points and him not being at his very best and uh, us being down, um, you know, I think that's something you can you can look at optimistically as well. But um, I don't know. I, you mentioned him a little before, but any other thoughts on, on Mason Mount in particular or whether you kind of expect him to get firing or do you think that this, you know, under the way we're kind of structured right now, he may continue to kind of sputter? It's really tricky because the one player you have to look at that's changed has been Raheem Sterling because he did play a lot with Kai Havertz last season. And I think the biggest difference was we had Timo Werner instead of uh, Raheem Sterling. Now, Timo Werner was somebody that would run at the defense. He would run nonstop. And Raheem Sterling isn't that way. So if there's one thing I think that may have changed, it's maybe that uh, Raheem Sterling doesn't stretch the defense as much to give Mason Mount a little bit more space. That's kind of the best thing I can come up with for the time being. But none of our forward players have been getting a lot of the ball right now. So Ideally, you want to get Mason Mount 60 to 70 touches every single match because he will create some absolute magic if he's given the opportunity. But today's another day. He had less than 30 touches. And that's kind of been an issue throughout the season as he's hardly touched the ball. So I'm always critical of a player themselves for not getting involved when they don't have too much of the ball. And that's the case with Mason Mount right now is I feel like he needs to get more of the ball, but I also feel like he needs a better supply to him. And Raheem Sterling is probably overperforming expectations because even he's not getting too many opportunities. And everybody's been overly critical of Kai Havertz, but it's the same thing. None of our attacking players really see too much of the ball from what we might expect for a club like Chelsea. So all three of them are kind of in that same boat. Raheem Sterling is maybe just looking the other, making the other two look bad because he's been our best attacking player. The match congestion starts to come into play here going forward, kind of for the first time in the season. Chelsea will play Southampton in a midweek match on Tuesday, August 30th. That's at St. Mary's. And, you know, interestingly enough, with just four matches into the season, Chelsea and Southampton with three common opponents, Southampton was beaten resoundly by Tottenham on that 4-1 four, four to one on opening day when, when Tottenham kind of came out all guns blazing. 
They drew 2-2 with Leeds, and they likewise, as Chelsea did today, beat Leicester 2-1. Uh, they lost uh, to, to Man Man United this morning, um, and, and for the you know, sit below us currently in 14th place could drop even further, but you know, another good chance for Chelsea to pick up, pick up points. I don't think Southampton is quite the dumpster fire that some people thought they might be at the start of the season. Uh, you know, there was talk that, you know, has, has house and Hoodle's time at Southampton just kind of come to a, a, a natural end after so long. I, you know, I don't know. Southampton seems to be a team that people consistently write off and then they sputter to life and kind of, um, you just don't want to, you just don't quite know when to catch them, but certainly a match that Chelsea, um, you know, could and should be favored in, uh, Julian. And then they come back, uh, next weekend at home against West Ham who currently sit, you know bottom of the table without any goals scored that's been pretty well documented so far but um after that Chelsea Chelsea actually moved to the Champions League uh you know I'm going to briefly talk about that Julian but any final before I do any final thoughts today on Chelsea's match with Leicester anytime we're going to earn three points I'm always going to be proud even if it is a fluky one nil victory but in this case I have a lot of praise for our players we bounced back from a devastating performance against Leeds so Really proud of them, and I hope this is a sign of things to come and that we might have written the ship a little more. So say we all. And as I mentioned, the Champions League draw actually just happened this week, and Chelsea found themselves with a fairly favorable draw. AC Milan in pot one, they could have ended up with some major uh, scary powers like Bayern or PSG, but, but end up with AC Milan uh, Chelsea, the pot two team in their group E, and then they got Salzburg from Austria in pot three and Dynamo Zagreb in in the fourth pot, a, a team that actually Chelsea has some some history with and has played some. Uh, you know, I, it's it's one of the sad things to me, Julian, about not living. Uh, it, it being a local uh, Chelsea match going day fan, I think it's a lot more fun watching the draw when you find out you might be going to some some of these destinations on holiday or to follow the team. Uh, you know, not not so much the case for me. I don't have to worry about getting lodging in Salzburg and how expensive that's going to be. But it is still fun to to see these teams in Europe that we're going to play. And uh, I actually mentioned on the schedule I'm looking at, Chelsea still listed to play West Ham next Sunday, September 4th. But it's we're told that match has actually been moved up a day to September 3rd, Saturday, to accommodate Chelsea's first match. And that is away at Zagreb on Thursday, September 6th. So going to be midweek fixtures here for the next few weeks for Chelsea. And, you know, we haven't talked much about the World Cup, but that's looming over all of this too. We're just not a lot of time in this schedule once it starts really ramping up and and we're kind of at that phase. So things are going to come thick and fast. Chelsea with three big points away, or excuse me, at home to to Leicester and, uh, Final thoughts from me here. Um, Chelsea, look forward to Southampton midweek on Tuesday. And uh, until that time, thanks for joining us again. I'm your host, Jay Wilmington, joined by Julian Bravo on another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast.